Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel, command it. I also command that you keep listening to Adrian Has Issues. Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm super excited about today's show. By the time this episode gets posted, it'll be about, let's say, two, three weeks removed from New York Comic Con, which was a fantastic time. Quick shout out to Buddy Scalera and Comic Book School for allowing me to assist in their panels. And one of the panels that they host is called Creator Connection. For those who may not know or aren't from the area, but basically the idea is when it comes to comic books and other projects, at some point, you have to figure out, okay, well, how are these people going to get together to work on a particular comic? So what the Creator Connection panel does is gets everybody in the room, and it's kind of like creative speed dating in a way. At least that's how it felt, and I say that to be complimentary, but Buddy was awesome. It's like, you know, you paired people off between what are your writers, pencilers, you know, colorists, what have you. And basically, the idea is to get people talking and to just start, you know, connecting. Best case scenario, you meet someone who may very well be working on your next comic. And today's guest um, was one of those ladies whom I met actually several times throughout the weekend. Uh, she is a publisher, uh, writer of a awesome comic called Danger Gliders, actress, and also the president of a company, Challenging Comics. And we're going to get into a little bit of all of that today. So please welcome Alexa Fox. Alexa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Adrian. I am happy to be here. Right. And I'm so glad to have met you. And I also still feel really bad because I had every intention of speaking with you at the panel itself. But obviously, you know, you get pulled this way and that way. And by the time I notice, I'm like, oh, I got to meet the lady with the really awesome haircut. <laughs> but see, it works, right? It was that was part of my my lecture there. My my five minutes that uh, have a trademark look, stick with it. I've had the same horrible haircut for 10 years and I can't change it. I don't think it's terrible. You know what? It stood out. And it's like, out of everybody, that made an impact. And I know you were there very briefly doing a little bit of a, a spiel on the podium. And you seemed really awesome. So it's like, oh, I got to really talk to her. But like I said, it didn't really work out that way. Then I actually ran into you heading towards Artist Alley. And it's like, you were very sweet. And I was like, I'm so glad you were able to take the time out and chat and that's actually one of the takeaways from that weekend is I'm always appreciative of people who are willing to talk. And even if it's not necessarily the most opportune time, but any friend of buddies is a friend of mine. So I'm so glad that we're able to get together and chat about uh, what you're involved in. Yeah, while he's not here, let's talk about Buddy behind his back a little bit. Um, I hear, I hear he's got 300 different parrots, each of them trained to say a different swear word in a different language. <laughs> No, buddy. Buddy's an old friend. Um, I don't. Should I tell people how I met Buddy? Yeah, if you if you don't mind. All right. So I met Buddy over ten years ago. Um, I used to be a volunteer at Wizard World, and uh, he and Darren uh, Darren Sanchez would get a comp booth from Wizard, and they would sell their books, but they couldn't run it themselves because they were busy working the show. Uh, so they asked for a volunteer. They didn't tell me what I was volunteering for. But I, you know, being young and naive, I was like, oh, oh, pick me, pick me. And uh, the rest is history. I eventually dropped out of college to go pursue comic books. So thanks, buddy. 
that is awesome. But yet, that attitude just like pick me. And it's like, even if you're not entirely sure of what you're into, the fact that you just had the frame of mind to even just let's just jump into it, see what happens, you know. As it sounds a little corny to say, not everybody can do that because believe me, there's that fear of, you know, what happens? What if it doesn't work out? You know, the, the what ifs and then you just sort of don't do it. So that's actually really commendable. Well, you know, if I failed, it wasn't my own product. So better to fail at somebody else's thing than at your own thing. I... <laughs> oh, I'm so using that as a sound bite. So now that we kind of got your origin story, so you basically dropped out of college to pursue comics. So um, I guess at what point did you decide to start challenging comics? Uh, we actually started challenging comics in 2011 and then the studio service side in 2012. Right. And that's something I thought was really cool because in addition to being just a comic book imprint, you actually provide services for other creators. Well, coming back to screwing up somebody else's thing, uh, it's a great way to train new grunts. You know, you put them on somebody else's assignment and, uh, you know, they're paying for the time it takes to to get that right. Good advice, kids. Good advice. No, we, we give our clients really good work. Um, I'm actually very lucky to work with some incredibly talented people, and I've been working with them for over four years now. So, Danger Gliders, I got a chance to read the first two issues. So much fun, by the way. Thank you. So what was the inspiration behind uh, creating this? Or actually, before we even get into that, I guess do just a little bit of a, a elevator pitch for people who may not know what it's about. All right, Danger Gliders is about three scientifically enhanced super marsupials. Try to say that five times fast. Um, scientifically enhanced super marsupials who are out to save the world. So you think about something like Mission Impossible and the rescuers, you know, meets, I don't know, maybe Get Smart. You know, they've got a lot of heart and they really try. Sometimes their ideas aren't very good. Yeah, I definitely got a really cool rescuer vibes off of that, which is funny. I was actually talking about that with my girlfriend fairly recently. It's like, as much as I love those movies, dear God, they scared the living daylights out of me as a kid. Well, they have <laughs> nothing to do with the book. Um, so if you've ever read the original rescuer's novel, they were trying to save a poet who was imprisoned on this island because of his dissident speech. Wait, what? Yeah, okay, so the rescuer's movies have nothing to do with the novel. Uh, the original Rescuers novel, they are, you know, basically, like, for lack of a better term, they're SJWs. They're true social justice warriors, you know, who take action. So they hear of this poet who has been locked away because the regime didn't like his poetry, and they take it upon themselves to rescue him. And that was sort of the impetus that we wanted behind Danger Gliders and kind of that ethos of Captain Planet, that the power is yours. So, you know, don't focus on what you can't do. Whatever you can do, no matter how small, can make a difference. I didn't realize that it was a book prior to, you know, the Disney cartoon. Yeah, I don't think most people did. I, I'm not sure how I stumbled on that, but that was in my elementary school library and it made an impression on me. So, <laughs> Well, I guess that gets into my next question then is, you know, some of the inspiration behind wanted to create this. Because as I read it, you know, it's a fun caper. But underneath it, there was a lot of social commentary. And, you know, it's a book with a message, but not an overbearing or, you know, ham-fisted type. So I guess is that sort of your thought process in going into creating it? Yeah, I feel like kids can handle a lot more depth and challenge than we give them credit for. Like, adults hate being confused by things. But for kids, that's like their natural perpetual state. The world confuses them. And they're okay with it. Like, they're fine with not understanding things. So, you know, you let them discover and feel things out along with the characters because the characters don't have all the answers either. 
Um, and they're not perfect role models, you know, like they try to be, they try to be good, but even they fail. That is very true. And I've noticed something, at least when it comes to, I guess what would be considered all ages books is that it's a lot different than what it used to be, where a lot of them were just kind of like entertainment for the sake of entertainment. But yet I personally feel like they, a lot of them didn't really get into like a lot of serious themes, but then you're like, you know, kids, they're young. They don't necessarily know a lot about the world, but at the same time, they're not dumb. You know, they, they kind of at least have a decent grasp of things, even if you don't think they do, which is something that I guess now, uh, being something of a dad, uh, I'm figuring out very quickly. <laughs> have you shown them to your kids? No, not yet, but I'm definitely going to because I think they'll get a kick out of it, especially the, the little one. I think she'll really dig it. Oh, that's awesome. How old is she? She's six. Oh, yes, that's the perfect age to start. Thankfully, there's already an interest, and thankfully, well, both of them, because uh, the other kid's uh, 12, and yet, thankfully, well, their their mother, who's also a geek, and some of you may have heard her on the show before, Eileen, it's funny, like, I've talked to them about subjects that, you know what, and it's, I guess it shouldn't be weird to say, but I've had so much better conversations with them than they had people who were, like, twice my age, and I love that about them. They're super intelligent, have a keen eye, so I'm always keeping an eye out for books that I think that would be, I, I guess it's like age appropriate, but at the same time, a little bit more challenging, which I guess is great that you have the name of the company is Challenging Comics. Yeah, that, that was really the goal there. You know, make something that kids would love and that would be enriching for them, but which would be tolerable, if not enjoyable for adults. Yeah, because that seems to be the other way, isn't it? Where it's like, okay... I don't know why I thought Minions, first thing off the top of my head. You know, kids love it, but I personally don't think I can get through 90 minutes of that movie. Couldn't do it. Yeah, it may as well be an Esperanto. I, you know, again, being an adult, I'm not used to being that confused. But children, they don't care. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, I think that's what makes them so great to talk to is that adults think they already know how everything works because it would be terrifying to admit that you don't. You know, you're an adult. You're supposed to know how things work. But kids have the freedom to not know how it works and to explore that. And uh, I think that's something that's really beautiful about them. And that's something that you hinted on that's actually very true. Is the fact that adults rarely like to admit when they don't know something. We don't have to go far to find references, you know, in the real world where that's become a very major problem because we're not willing to admit that, hey, uh, we don't know everything. And then, unfortunately, that pursuit gets us in a lot of trouble. Absolutely. Um, and then you had asked about other sort of inspirations for this. So I wanted to tell the story about the original Danger Glider. Um, back in 2009, I got my first sugar glider. His name is Nand, uh, which is a, it's a computer term. And Nand is just like the smartest, kindest, boldest, spunkiest creature I've ever met. And he became the prototype. He became the prototype for Spanner. And uh, a couple of months later, I got Exor, who is the real life widget. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and so, like, I had, you know, this idea for these two brother characters, uh, and Exor is much more timid, like, he's very, very sweet, but he's kind of timid until he commits to something, and then he just, like, pulls out all the stops, so he'll be really afraid to come up to you, but the moment he decides he wants to, he just leaps onto your face, pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're adorable, they're, they're terrible little imps, I love these guys. And then uh, basically in 2011, I was supposed to do a pitch for Nickelodeon that ended up not happening. I did a pitch in 2012, but I adapted Danger Gliders for that pitch. And that's when we created Jimmy because we realized that we needed someone to balance out Spanner and Widget. And I think that she's filled that gap. Like the series would not be at all what it is without her. 
<laughs> and, so I, and I love the byplay because as someone who has an older sibling, it's like, oh my gosh, like I can relate to these two so much. Like it's pretty hysterical. And something else I thought was pretty awesome because I'm trying not to like give too much away of the book, but uh, the soda, the, the gold crown, where did that come in? Uh, it actually had to do with a documentary about bottled water. And bottled water companies are owned by soda companies. Like they're owned by, you know, Coca-Cola and Nestle, Cadbury Schweppes. I guess Cadbury Schweppes is owned by Nestle now too. And that was actually the inspiration for this particular story arc was what the, what soda companies are doing with water. And then the term gold crown, it's actually the name for a type of bottle cap. So the most common type of bottle cap blank that you can buy is referred to as a gold crown. And uh, we just thought that was a pretty good name. And uh, we went with that. And we've been trying to make it sort of ubiquitous. So if you look through the pages, you'll frequently find posters or other things relating to gold crown. Right. Yeah. And a big shout out to our letterer, John Zamar, who is also my business manager. Uh, he's a guy like that vending machine. He designs all of the gold crown logos and like the vending machines and the ads. He does an incredible job with that. Getting into the creative side of things, because um, you have a co-writer's book, Sean Gilmore. What's the story of how you guys got together on this project? Oh, gosh, that's a story that is so creepy by today's standards, but really <laughs> adorable when put in context. Okay, so imagine it's the early days of the Internet and people are still using AIM, which um, young people listening, AIM is AOL Instant Messenger. And if you need me to tell you what AOL is, it's a company that wasn't very good. They <laughs> sent out a lot of disks for their dial-up internet. Uh, they make great coasters or frisbees, or you can put them in the microwave for about 10 seconds, and it's really cool. Oh, we use them for frisbees a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, try the microwave thing, and then use it as a frisbee, but wear eye protection. Uh, yeah, wait, don't try that at home, kids. In fact, don't try that at home, adults. Um, nobody try that. <laughs> oh, damn it. I was writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, uh, so back in the days of AIM, I would like, I liked doing those text based role playing games where a bunch of writers would get together and write prose together. And I used to go on AIM and I would search for usernames that were like really esoteric, unknown character names. And, um, I found Sean Gilmore by searching for James Howlett, which people may recognize as Wolverine's real name. Right. And I was just like, I sent him a message as total stranger. And I was like, hey, by any chance, do you role play? And uh, here we are over 15 years later. Oh, my gosh. Because I think about it, though, um, back in the days of AIM, that phrase meant something a lot different. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we were kids. Um, no, that was called cybering. That's this right. Is back when that was called cybering. So, um, yeah, nobody looked that up. But yeah, so like, it's, you know, now it would be really creepy to just message a person you don't know, like you use the internet to talk to people you already know. But back then you use the internet to discover people you didn't know, like the point was to talk to strangers. Right. So like, it's really changed a lot in that way. Oh, and I feel so bad because I would say I was roughly around eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade, when we kind of first got a computer and we were able to use the internet and AOL. And funny you should mention like, you know, those chat rooms, because as someone who grew up being a very huge James Bond fan, I actually was a member of like multiple James Bond RPG chat rooms. Yes. And wasn't that stuff fun? And they also had, there were mailing groups too. There were email groups based on that. So it was like a longer format and slower. 
And you never got anywhere, but it was all very beautiful getting nowhere. Right? And it's embarrassing. And, like, if my parents ever hear this, I am so sorry <laughs> that I wasted so much, you know, time on these stupid chat rooms. But yet, it was so much fun. And yet, at the risk of just sounding really stupid, it was fun because you really had to go out of your way to use your imagination. And working with a good group of people who were, like, willing to play along and at least took it seriously enough to, like, advance the story. And it's like, I played Dungeons & Dragons before I played Dungeons & Dragons. And it was a lot of fun. Except for towards the end, you know, going back to the whole cybering thing, there were people who, I guess, um, they took one of the aspects of the Bond series and went a little too far with it. Yeah, we always had some of those, and we actually had kind of a special walled-off section for that kind of thing. But it's one of those things I look now, like, I look upon it now with horror, because uh, there's no way to ID people on the internet. So you have to know that, like, that's not safe. You know, you I don't do anything like that now, now that I'm older and over 18, because you have no idea what age the other people are. That's So again, like, the, the internet used to be so fun, and now, like, everything that we used to do just sounds so scary. Because it was, and yet at the time, <laughs> since no one really knew what it was about, I guess there wasn't much regulation, even from a parental level, because as long as we weren't going out of our way to meet people and, you know, God forbid, you know, getting kidnapped or something, for the most part, uh, uh, the rest of it was safe. And it's amazing how much got done on such a terrible connection. I can't tell you how many times we'd be, like, getting this great action scene in, and things are going wonderful, next, you know, like, uh, someone needs to use the phone, and you lose your connection. Oh, yeah. You'd also have people that would just, like, um, I don't know if you ever did the Telnet server type games. No, I didn't do those. Oh, yeah. So I was really nerdy. So I would actually <laughs> log on to a server that would have all these rooms and stuff and, like, extensive profiles and, like, auditions. And I mean, they took it seriously. But sometimes people's connections would just flicker in and out. And, you know, it's like, okay, somebody taped this person down. We're never going to get anywhere if they keep coming and going. And so kind of bringing that back to danger gliders, it's, you know, like seeing how much the world has changed. I think that's kind of like a fun aspect to play with, with technology. And I should remind people about this. If you tweet at danger gliders, they will talk to you. Oh, that's cool. So it's actually from the perspective of the characters. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, we thought so. We'll see how that works out in practice. We may be deleting a lot of tweets after this comes out. We'll find out. (laughs) <laughs> well, no, but it's it's funny because, you know, talking about those early days of AIM and something that we realize now when it comes to, let's say, comic books and such is that, you know, while print comics are great, things are a lot different than they used to be. And I think the more interactive things are, I think it's easier for people to get immersed in it. Yeah, I think that having more material out there that just teaches empathy and teaches people that, hey, that person on the Internet is a real person that has real feelings You know, like having that empathy is really important, especially when someone's being mean to you to realize that, you know, that's a person and people have bad days. Like they have a reason to be the way they are. So, you know, don't take it personally. Like they shouldn't do that to you, but it's probably not about you. Right. Uh, And that's something that we'll end up covering in Danger Gliders a bit more extensively. But you see it in the relationship between Spanner and Jimmy that Jimmy's, you know, not very nice to him a lot of the time. But he doesn't take it personally because he recognizes that this is one of her foibles. You know, this is just a flaw that she has. And, you know, she just can't say that she cares about him. Uh, but that's that's kind of how she does say that she cares is by by poking fun at him and telling him that his ideas aren't very good, <laughs> which is probably the relationship I have with my co-writer. Um, if we're if we're being honest. 
That's awesome. And I, I had that thing with my best friend too. And actually my sister's the worst who, you know, I've noticed any time that we were, I mean, granted, we we're always very nice to each other, but any time that, you know, we we're like extra nice, almost sickeningly so, you knew there was something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have an older brother too. It's, it's always weird being the youngest. Yeah, I didn't realize that until I got older and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, granted, I have a younger half sister, but yet I'm out of the middle kid syndrome range. So I didn't even have that going for me. <laughs> You know, it's, it's kind of weird for me because I have an older brother, um, and then Sean Gilmore is the oldest of four children, but he's younger than me. So he's like my kid brother. So like, you know, we're able sort of to write it from both perspectives that we understand the older sibling and the younger sibling perspective to, uh, to bring that to the comic. It doesn't even just stop there with you because, um, you're also a voice actress. Indeed. Yeah. I, should I do some voices here? Absolutely. I mean, if you don't mind, I think that'd be really fun. Um, and, you know, I like to go down into here or, you know, even into a much lower, you know, Ira Glassy kind of. <laughs> nice you reference. Know, and of course you, right, you'll, you always have the, the sultry seductress and, you know, the posh lady. And, um, yeah, so I, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, you'd have to make a request almost. I, I've been trying to turn myself into a, you know, a Mel Blank or a Frank Welker. Oh, Frank Welker. That's funny you should mention that. Um, the network I'm on, they have a show called Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom, where they talk about various cartoons from, you know, old and new. And it's amazing when, like, looking back, like, if there was a cartoon from the 80s and early 90s, Frank Welker's name was probably on it. Oh, yeah. No, I think he's the only person with a longer IMDb than Mark Hamill. Really? Yeah, and like Cartoon Network for the longest time, I used to play a game that was called, uh, you know, Spot Mark Hamill's Guest Appearance, because he was just clearly in the studio a lot. So like every cartoon, he would be in the background somewhere. Right. And not for nothing, though. I mean, that's kind of a interesting business to get into, you know, especially after Star Wars. You know, it's not that Mark Hamill wasn't acting, but, you know, he wasn't doing like a lot of live action stuff. But, you know, if there's anything we know about voice acting is, you know, that that scene is obviously could be very lucrative depending on the projects because, you know, like I said, Mark Hamill's in everything. Well, you know, and the beauty of it is that nobody can see your face. So you can make all the weird, wacky faces that you want. And uh, no, no one's going to know that. And you can show up in your bathrobe. So it's, it's a lot better than traditional acting in that regard. <laughs> and this is why I love podcasting so much. <laughs> I know, it's great. Actually, we're recording something for, it's called My Life as a Monkey. There's a cartoon that I'm working on with Mike McFarland and Monica Rial. Uh, Colleen Clinkenbeard's in it, Micah Salazad, and Jamie Markey. There we go. I remember everybody. Nice. Uh, so hi, guys. But there was a moment where we were all in the booth, and we're all just screeching like monkeys at each other. <laughs> and like, there's no illusion of dignity left, because you see someone doing exactly what you're doing. And it's like, yep, that's me. I'm a dancing monkey. <laughs> so we're all like, imagine like four people in a little booth just going, whoo, 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 whoo. Oh, that's so awesome. And I always loved watching like behind the scenes of like cartoons or movies where you actually see the voice actors in the booths because, you know, you get the few, you know, they'll read their lines and they'll read them very emphatically, you know, to the character. And then you get the ones who are just so hyper animated to the point where it's funny to watch. But yet, you know, yes, you're acting with your voice, but you still are using everything in you physically to bring that character out. So I think in a way they actually have it, you know, even tougher than some because you're still going through all the motions, even if it's just a voice that carries through. 
You know, what's really weird about it is that you can be acting with your entire body, except your face has to stay in the exact same place at all times. How the hell do you do that? <laughs> Training, beatings, um, shame. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, when, when someone has to throw out a really good take because you moved and it messed with the mic, you know, because like if you, you know, if I move away from the mic like I'm doing right now, it's going to mess with the sound a lot. Right. So um, you'll get that in your, your end of the recording and everyone will hear how bad that sounds. So um, you throw out enough takes for that and you, you learn quickly. Now, is that something that you actually trained through school or is that just like a talent that you just picked up as you went along? It's just something I figured out I could do when I was about 12. I started singing like duets with myself, doing things like that because I was in theater, but it was one of those useless parlor tricks where my teacher was like, that's great, whatever. And uh, I never really got to do anything with it. I don't know that you can go anywhere specifically to train in that, but it seems like a lot of people that are in voice acting were actually music majors. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's actually something I never really thought about. I guess it kind of works the same way, like voice acting. I mean, if you think about, you know, most vocalists, you know, learning how to use your voice in so many different manners, I guess it kind of works relatively the same way. You know, and, you know, if you're a music major, you're also likewise unemployed a lot of the time. So you got to start finding things to fill in those gaps. And, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not as prepared to wait tables as regular actors. They're, they're not as good at smiling vacantly. And, um, hi, I'm Chad, and I'll be your server today. It seems like a, a really interesting thing to get into. But vocally, like, you know, you really have to train hardcore for that, I'd imagine. I'm currently at like a four octave range and it'll never be any bigger than that, but that's already pretty ridiculous. And uh, for me, it's, you know, driving through Texas, when you get to like hour three or four, that's when the animal noises start. And then it's just things like, can I sound like a drip coffee maker? What's the most annoying, irritating noise that I can make? <laughs> so you end up being like Michael Winslow from like Police Academy. You just start coming up with various noises to make. Pretty much. Um, if I had my level set right, I would bark, but I will I will blow up my microphone doing that. Uh, please don't, because that's an awesome mic you're using. And <laughs> I, I mean, granted, I would be, I would kind of use that as a selling point. It's like Alexa Fox on the show, and she totally blew out her mic during recording. But yet, obviously, you still have to replace the mic. So I won't ask you to do that. Oh, oh no, I won't. It's not. No, the mic will be fine. It's just that the recording is going to get bad. So actually, wait, let me let me back up from the mic so that I'm not so loud that it um, it breaks the levels. All right, cool. And uh, we'll, we'll we'll do some dog barking. Make my neighbors really wonder. All right. Much further back. All right. So. There's also stuff like doing like the the donkey. So you do like the. That was awesome. Thank you. Thanks, mom and dad, for letting me drop out of college to waste my life braying like a literal jackass. <laughs> and just think about it, though. Like, I, I had this realization the other day because, you know, we talked very briefly before we started, you know, about, um you know, video gaming foibles and dealing with people online. But, you know, for a very long time, like playing video games, it was just seen as this hobby. And I remember very vividly my aunt kind of like scolding my cousin about, you know, playing video games too long. And, you know, I had to get like a real job and like there's no real money in this. Meanwhile, I turn on Twitch on my PS4 and next, you know, I'm watching like national tournaments for like, you know, Counter-Strike or Street Fighter or like Mortal Kombat. Like people are getting paid sponsorship to tour and to play video games. And I'm thinking, 
damn it, if we had just waited a little bit longer, we could have been able to prove people that there's legitimacy to this. So, you know, I guess dropping out of school to pursue something you're really into, I mean, people say it all the time, but not the worst thing you could do. Yeah, well, I mean, like, wait to start succeeding at that thing and then drop out of school. That was actually the advice that Michael Dell gave me at one point, the guy that founded Dell Computers. Because I was like, how did, how did you know when was the right time to drop out? He's like, well, I was shifting this many units a week and making more money than I would have in my major. So, and I didn't quite get to that point, but I realized I could make enough money and um, I would be much happier. So yeah, don't, don't drop out just to like, uh, you know, go be a circus clown unless you're already a circus clown. Right. <laughs> Because that is, I guess, kind of the cliche story of the person who goes, drops out, and then, like, you know, travels halfway across the country or something to pursue this thing. But yet, I don't know, as somebody who is, I guess, in a way, trying to do that now, you know, I have to applaud it, but you're right. I guess you also have to be very realistic about it. Yeah, I mean, if you like eating, not not everybody does. That's okay. <laughs> We're all different. Oh, my gosh, Alexa, you are a riot. So shifting gears for a bit, though, you have this company, Challenging Comics, you're the president. And, you know, I, I have to think about it, though, like there's and I honestly say this, there aren't very few women that I know of. I mean, there are a few who I've had on the show who actually run their own comic book companies. And I think that's something that A is also, you know, very awesome. But, you know, I'd imagine that also comes with its list of challenges because, I mean, let's be real. In this industry, it's still very difficult for many women to sort of at least have a decent representation. You know, I think representation for female characters still has a long way to go. And it's not for lack of trying. It's just like people don't know what they don't know. So, you know, you get a lot of tone deaf representations. And it's a thing we come across with Jimmy where people are like, well, you know, why didn't you give her hair or big eyelashes? And I'm like, well, why don't you ask me why I don't give beards and chest hair? You know, like big curly chest hair to the boys. Like, why, why does the female character have to have humanoid secondary traits to designate her as female right so we tried to write jimmy as you know really more like the girls that would be you know in like i guess like a modern girl in many ways or at least you know one of the ways that a girl can be so i'm sure that there's some girls out there that will look at her and say you know oh hey i can be that way i don't have to don't have to fit some of these other molds that people have given me if you fit those molds that's great there's nothing wrong with that um we just want people to have options and I personally, I can't say I faced a lot of challenges necessarily as a woman. I've been very, very lucky. I've always kind of known the right people. And that kind of gives you a shield of protection. My problems are really the boring kind where it's just, you know, can we get this out on time? Is this person doing their job? And my guys are great. Like they, they do their jobs very well. So um, a lot of it's just dealing with clients. No, it's my, my job is great, actually. I, I can't really complain. <laughs> all I do is sit around all day and complain. So I, you know, and I love that. So um, can't complain. <laughs> Running your own company. And, and obviously with that, there's so many moving parts. So in addition to working on this book, you still have to see, you know, oversee all these other things and make sure everything's run smoothly. Yeah, there's a number of clients I have that really are new to comics and they don't know how to do things. So I spend a fair amount of my time just teaching people how to do stuff, giving people advice. And, you know, like it's, it's kind of a weird thing, but I have to tell people like how to use my studio. So it's like, you know, here's how you know, like I'm renting this out to you, but here's how you can make best use of the things that I'm renting to you. You know, that's important because for a lot of people, that's kind of one of the things that's okay. How do you get into this industry? And I know that the term break in is a thing, but yeah, 
you know, if someone doesn't teach you, how are you going to know? And not everybody's going to do that because with a lot of professions, it's like, okay, you kind of have to at least have some experience. So I guess that also requires a lot of patience because I, I'd be the worst person because I'd basically be asking you everything <laughs> that's going on. It's like, oh God, this guy again. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've been doing this for, I guess I've been working on this for 13 years getting in, because I just turned 30. I turned 30 yesterday. Um, oh. although it won't be yesterday when you air this show. So on the, on the 16th of October, I finally hit 30, which is a lot of people dread that. I was like really enthused because like people still get to have opinions about you, but you don't have to care so much anymore. <laughs> you know, like you can just kind of do what you want and, um, you know, like you, people, people give up on trying to fix you. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm gonna be 32 on the 24th of October, and I oh my god, like I <laughs> I agree with that wholeheartedly, a hundred percent. October babies are the best. Absolutely, right? Studies show it. It's actually because of school cutoffs. So, um, when you and I started school, we would have been nearly six years old, but other kids are just barely five. So, um, at that age, there's like, you know, being a father, you know, there's like a huge developmental difference between a kid who's five and a kid who's six, which is again, something that's so cool about kids, you know, because like, there's not a lot of difference between like 32 year old you and 30 year old me, but like those two years are a huge deal. So the six year olds are way better at sitting still and paying attention than the five year olds. And they make the five year olds look immature <laughs> and that those advantages just compound on each other and add up for the rest of your career. So, um, for instance, Paul Levitz, the former president of DC Comics, he is also an October baby. Nice. Didn't know that. Uh, I think, I think Dan, uh, Dan DiDio is also October. Yeah, that was always the worst because being slightly older, because, you know, that cutoff date, I ended up starting, like I said, a year back and I already looked older than most of the other kids. And of course, I guess I got like the King family gene where by like seventh grade, I'm already learning how to shave. And, you know, kids are unforgiving as hell, so. Well, it's just because they were jealous. I mean, like, they were really unforgiving of me, too. And then I got older. I'm like, wait, you were trying to drag me down because you were threatened. Oh, I had one up on you. Plus, I mean, you get to drive before they do. I was fortunate to turn 18 during a presidential election. Nice. So that was really cool. Yeah. So like my first time voting, it was in a presidential election. So I feel bad for people who are coming into comics just now because we're already at the height of this huge bubble. And I came in at a time uh, right before the bubble and I wrote it up. So when I first started going to conventions, I was about 15 years old. And this was a time when you could still get tickets for San Diego on the day of. You could just show up at the convention center and buy a four-day pass. It was only four days back then, which is still really long, but yeah, like it was really easy. Like you just drove into town, got a hotel, got these passes. And I was there the first year that it hit a hundred thousand people. Wow. So like I, I, yeah, I came in right before that boom and I attribute a lot of my success to that. You know, I didn't plan that. I couldn't have, I just happened to have really good timing and I would talk to anybody that wasn't talking to someone, which in booths actually ends up being, uh, usually VPs. So like the guy in a suit that everyone's ignoring is the most important person there. And I happened to talk to Bob Wayne and, you know, I was a spunky kid and I was just like, I really want to write Batman someday. And he actually gave me his card and said, when you're ready to write comics, you know, let me know. Awesome. Um, I still haven't written, still haven't written Batman. Bob Wayne doesn't work at DC anymore. He is doing work with CBLDF and some other people. Um, 
Yeah, so DC, I'm I'm waiting. Still want to write Batman. That's that's still great, though. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if it weren't for just a few people, I would not be here. So Bob Wayne being one of them, you know, Buddy Scalera and Darren Sanchez also being part of that. Uh, the studio actually is in no small part because of Jimmy Palmiotti. So Paper Films was our like early big client that um, really helped us to break in and to make a name for ourselves. So again, the, the importance of networking. And I, I met Jimmy back when he was an inker and I like just asked him for snacks. I was hungry. He was sitting there eating, eating graham crackers. I'm just like, hey, can I have one of those? And uh, lasting friendship and a tradition of convention snacks started from there. <laughs> right. And that's uh, that's actually really important. That's something that I feel like we should probably cap off on is networking, because that's how I met you. And had it not been for, you know, running into you and then, of course, talking later on, um, I believe that was at uh, Buddy's Booth in Artist Alley. You know, it's just that idea of being open. You know, like you said, you went up and, you know, asked for a graham cracker or, you know, talk to this guy and doing so in a professional, cordial and way. And, you know, obviously not being a jerk about it. Well, I was 15. I could be a jerk. That was the real beauty. I got in when like anything I did that might have been bad seemed cute and harmless. So like start young. That's the best advice I can give you is start young. <laughs> you know, people will forgive your mistakes so much more. And I mean, there's certain mistakes where it's like, okay, you're just starting out. And believe me, I've made plenty and I'm probably going to make a few more getting into this. But at the same time, I guess there's different mistakes where there's some where it's like, why would you ever think this was a good idea? You know, there's, there's certain mistakes where it's like, yeah, definitely could know better on that one next time. Yeah, you know, you can be socially awkward and weird. Just don't be a jerk. Right. You know, I always applaud people who took time out, including you, who basically were able to hear me out and be like, hey, you know, um... That is thing, let's try it out. And it could have been another situation of, all right, we looked into it. Maybe it didn't work out, but yet, you know, it was just very cool because we got to talking very briefly and it's like, all right, when are you free? This time, let's put it in and let's go for it. And I love that. And especially now where, you know, I am a little bit older and something that I'm sure you know, running a company and such is that time is precious. Oh, yeah. No, I, I have my life planned out by the decade. And in like three year sort of increments, but like overall arc for the decade and then sort of goals over the next three years. <laughs> yeah, because like there's so many things that are going on and it's like you try not to waste as much time as possible. And that's why, you know, especially with this year, I'm like, OK, anybody I talk to, let's go ahead. Let's start setting dates. Let's move forward because, you know, you never want to basically talk. You know, like that thing like you run into people maybe like from school and be like, oh, we should get together sometimes. Like, yeah, great. And, you know, you're not going to hear from them for another five years. And it's like, you know, you'd never want to do that, especially when it comes to dealing with people who are either working on comics or other professionals, because there's so many things that they could be doing, you know, make it worth their time. Well, you never know who's still going to be there and who's going to move up. Like if you had asked people to guess 10 years ago out of our cohort, who is still going to be around? You know, people may or may not have guessed that me and Michael Dolce would still be there. And Michael was one of the other people that spoke on Buddy's Creator Connection. Right. And Buddy used to be in the booth right next to us. He worked with Buddy as well. He created something called The Sire uh, that he was doing with um, Daniel Leister. So, like, it's just kind of interesting to see who's still here. And, like, they were friends with a guy named Marcus Perry, who's also still around. And, like, the short film that he made way back then, he's finally making into a feature film now. And his lead actress is uh, the person that does the stunts for Black Widow. Get out of here. Yeah, it's um, it's called Razor Sharp. 
Oh, I got to write that down. Who would have guessed that we would all still be here, but like we're still in touch because it's like, oh, hey, you're still here. Awesome. And then there's other people that, you know, maybe you thought were going to do well that, you know, dropped out or disappeared and who knows what happened to them. Right. You never know, which is why, you know, and I, I know I've said this in a lot of episodes, but it, it couldn't be said enough. The fact that this is why it's important to be the best you can when it comes to interacting, because you never know. And I've heard so many stories of people who had these bad interactions or kind of came off a certain way. And even just the people who they didn't even realize was somebody important, only to find out that they were like, a VP of like a particular company, like in plain clothes, just walking the floor. Oh, I never knew it was anyone important. Like so many of the people that I met that were important, I had no idea. I would just like walk up. I'm like, this guy looks bored. Let me go tell him a joke. <laughs> and then I would find out later. Someone be like, do you know who you were just talking to? And I'm like, no. They're like, oh, well, that's the president of. And I'm like, oh, well, I, okay. Uh, but you know, you don't have to be perfect. I, uh, I'm not gonna name names, but, um, somebody, one of my friends, you know, like went on to a really long, like 15 minute tirade about how my political party, which I won't name, were a bunch of brainless morons. And I really, I tried so hard to stop him. I tried to stop him, but he would not let me get a word in edgewise until the very end where he looks at me and he goes, am I right? And I was like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> It was actually like a kind of weirdly uplifting moment for me because I'm like, well, I can't be the first person he's done this to and he still has a job. <laughs> so, you know, people are pretty forgiving and they forget people meet a lot of people. So unless you do something really, really awful, they're probably not going to remember. So like, don't mention if you run into them again, just be pleasant, be nice. And, you know, like don't don't apologize for the old thing unless they bring it up. Because you might remind them that it happened when they had totally forgotten. <laughs> That's something I never actually thought of before, but that is a good point. And you know, like I said, there's people who you don't even realize um, will be important later. That's also something that happens a lot where, you know, you talk to some people and you're like, Oh, you know, that's a cool thing that you're working on. Then maybe you don't hear from them. next, you know, like you're looking online and they may be responsible for like this thing that becomes, uh, very popular later on. You're like, Oh, and it's cool because it's like, Hey, you know, I knew that person before they even got this far. But also it's like, you know, the reason not to be a jerk because hey, you never know that could help out in the future. You know, sometimes you don't even realize it's the same guy. Um, and that happened with Mike Martz, who went on to become this big editor over at DC. He also worked, um, I used to sell his book at Buddy's Booth, Necrotic. Uh, I want to say it was Necrotic. If I'm wrong about that, you know, I'm sure that people will write in to correct me, but I think it was Necrotic that was his. And all the while, I had no idea it was the same Mike Martz. There's a lot of names that repeat, like, you know, you don't always know. Right. And that's what's kind of fun about going to conventions, because you start hearing the same names, and you start seeing the progression, or sometimes lack thereof, unfortunately, with some creators. And it's always kind of fun to kind of catch up and see what they're doing. It's basically kind of like going to, like, a class reunion, except you're not, like, pretending to be a doctor or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people are. Some people are. <laughs> I've given a number of free exams in my time. <laughs> no, um, no, not really. But, you know, it's there. There's certainly people and be careful of that. If something sounds too good to be true, fact check it. I will not name any names, but I've had people tell me that they have done some work and it went, it went really well and it was selling great. And not only did they not make like they never put that out, but if they had, it would have been somebody else's work that they just now ripped off. 
Right. And so, you know, watch out for the hucksters. And that happens too. And that's something that's strange that that still happens, especially in the, the, the age of the internet, you know, going back to what we were talking about before. It's a lot different than it used to be. Everything's on there. Cause how many times have you seen celebrities who do something? And then it's like someone pulls something up from like years ago, like, you know, something really odd, but it's like you could pull up anything. So if you're basically lying to, not only yourself, but other people, I'm sure someone's just going to go online, look you up, and then find out, oh, wait a minute, they're not responsible for any of the stuff they said. You know, you know people talk, so you'll find out through the grapevine. Um, you know, but like, the only thing that's saving them right now is that people aren't like whipping out their phone and fact-checking it live while they're talking to you. Like, we haven't gotten to that point. I think as things like, say, Google Glass become, you know, more of a fixture, that, you know, like the moment I look at somebody, if their photo is online, it will tell me a bunch of stuff about them and identify them for me. And if I have like notes about them or something else, those will come up. So I think that we're, I think we're fast approaching that edge. And that's something that I really like to explore in my work is, you know, how reputation works and, you know, like how do we know things? What do we know? And how is technology changing our ability to know, like, you know, how quickly can we know it? Right. So we, we play a lot with that in Danger Gliders. I'll, I'll bring back that real quick. I should always plug it. No, go ahead. Plug away. Yeah. So if we talk about issue one and two a bit, we know that some characters know things that the other characters don't know. Right. We don't know what. Um, but we're able, you know, we we're playing with this idea that, you know, communications, all these things are fairly instant. And that's going to become more of an issue um, as we go on. I won't give any, you know, big spoilers out, but uh, watch out for that. It's, it's going to be important. Awesome. Alexa, I have had so much fun chatting with you. Thank you so much for taking the time out and um, setting this up. Like I, I had a lot of fun. I did too. Thanks a lot for having me, Adrian. If you ever want me back, I'm always happy to come back. Absolutely. So you can find Danger Gliders 1 and 2 on Amazon, and it's free if you have Amazon Prime or Kindle Unlimited. If you manage to find me online and contact me, I'll just give them to you for free. Uh, they're PDF format. You can find us as Danger Gliders on Facebook and at Danger Gliders on Twitter. And you can find me on Facebook as well. If you just search for my email, which I'll now put out here for everyone to hear, alexa.fox at challengingcomics.com. If you're an aspiring writer, especially if you're young and this is something you want to do, please reach out to me. Uh, I would be happy to tell you what a meat grinder the industry is, but how incredibly wonderful this job is too. <laughs> But again, you know, you got got to give them the, the, the sweet with the sour. You know, it all kind of comes in together in the mix. <laughs> exactly. Oh, boy. Again, thank you so much. And all of my social networking information is after the nifty ending theme. But that'll do it for this episode of Agent Has Issues. And we will see you next issue. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm His Issues. Wait, what? Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm... Wait, wait, that's not right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. 
Tune in to the Adrian Has Issues podcast. Each week we chat with some great people. Including me from time to time. Comic book creators, comedians. Musicians and actors. Tax collectors, Zamboni drivers. (sighs) Point is, basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture. Visit AdrianHasIssues.com where you can download and stream every episode. Especially the ones featuring yours truly. Visit Adrian Has Issues on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing I am. Us. I mean us. Ah, oh, McKenna, you're way cooler than I am anyway. Aw, oh, thanks, babe. Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com. <laughs>